catch me in the beginning. But um, I just want to say that as we have advertised it, we're going to be speaking about suffering. And maybe you didn't know that, and you're here, and now you think, well, it doesn't pertain to me. My life is absolute bliss. And uh, so you, uh, by the dialing out, please don't do that. Um, things can change very suddenly. We just don't know. Literally, a phone call away or a heart beat away, circumstances can change. And so this is to prepare us, to prepare ourselves for if you're not there, um, you'll see as the evening progresses. But it is just uh, wonderful. And I really have faith, with others have faith, that this would um, be like a, a real um, substantial deposit in your life that would help you and me and all of us to, to just live our lives um, in, in the sight of God in a way that would reach its full potential and benefits and everything else. And we'll have the impact around that we are called to have. And so I'm going to um, like you to just watch this video. It's about 11 minutes. It's an interview of three people who is basically had a lifetime of hardship, suffering. One is a guy, Nick Wojcik. You may have encountered him. He um, was born without limbs. Uh, the next is Joni Eriksson Tata. She's at the age of 17, had a diving accident and uh, was paralyzed from the neck down. And she just celebrated her 70th birthday. So it's over 50 years <clears throat> of living with paraplegia and just the most amazing person. You'll learn so much from her. And then a lady friend of hers that's had a stem cell, a brain stem, sorry, a brain stem um, stroke after the birth of their first baby, and so she's paralyzed the one half of her body. And so you'll see them. So enjoy. Today, yep. and they have struggles about their own value. Yep. Uh, can you please share about your struggles about maybe perhaps your well, value? Yeah, I mean, uh, you've got so many followers. People love you on Facebook. People come to your ministry events all around the world. You were born with your disability. and. I just can't imagine um, what your thoughts must have been when you were a little boy. And I want to hear about that in a minute. But for me, uh, I wasn't born with my disability. I, I uh, took that reckless dive when I was 17 years old. Up until that point, I was athletic. And, and uh, quadriplegia took a long, long time to get used to. I mean, I, what, going from captain of the women's lacrosse team in high school to... Um, being in a wheelchair without use of my hands or legs, it was more than just a, a little mm. depressing. Mm. Um, I remember, Nick, the first time I got in a power wheelchair like ours, you know, I, I wheeled outside the rehab center. This is my first day. And I saw this high curb. And I thought, you know, all I need to do is just push that ghost stick, and it'd be all over. And I look back and I think, oh, my goodness, thank God I never did that. But when somebody else has to do your toileting routines and has to wipe your nose and cut your food, you can so easily be convinced that, that, hey, I don't have a quality of life. Life's not worth living. But Nick, now, so many years later, when I get up in the morning and, uh, and I'm reminded once again of how much I need help, again, people bathing me, dressing me, doing my toileting routines, I tell you what, immediately I have to remember in whose image I'm made. I'm made in the image of God. My body may be broken, but oh my goodness, I am a God reflector. You know, I, I mirror our amazing God who was pleased to make me in my image. And that, 
that to me is awesome. Um, of you of know, life and, and trying to figure out your identity and, and your purpose in your life and where is this loving God. Yeah. Um, what would you say if anybody asked you, well, Johnny, you're in a wheelchair. You've gone through so much. Why are you so happy? What do you say gives value to you? Yeah, well, ascribing value to life is directly related to what we think about God. I mean, what kind of worth or what kind of value we put on our life is, is, is definitely connected to who we think of the Lord. It's not connected to whether or not we can walk, whether or not you've got arms, or, or whether or not my hands work. It's anchored in the fact it's a fact that, that God made us. And, and also our sense of value, again, what we think our worth is, what kind of price tag we would put on our lives, mm. you know? It, it, it's all directly connected with the price that was paid for us. Mm. I mean, you want, you want to talk about your life value. You want to talk how much you're worth or, or what, what, what kind of price tag would be put on you. You've you got to remember 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, which says, we were bought with a price. We were purchased with a price. And what a price. Oh my goodness, the precious blood of the Son of God. Hmm. You want to know how much you're worth? What your value is? Think about God. And secondly, think about what He paid for you. Amen. What He paid for you. And if we believe that it's beneath our human dignity to be weak or to be helpless or to go around life without arms or, or legs or hands that walk, if we think it's beneath our human dignity to have somebody wipe our backside or wipe our nose, then we are operating out of pride, pure pride. There's no room for pride, though, when you stop and think that you're made in the image of God. When you really think about that, Nick, as I know we're challenging our friends here watching to do, there's only humility. When you realize you're made in the image of God, there's only humility. Nick, I've got a good friend. Her name is Catherine Wolfe. And uh, she is an amazing young woman, young mother, a brain stem stroke survivor. She came to the IDC, our International Disability Center, the other day. And I had to video her on this very subject. Can we take a look real quick? Sure. Guys, can you put it up? Hi, friends. And on this Sanctity of Life week, I am with my very good friend, Catherine Wolf. And you have ne met a, never met a person who has such a zeal and a zest for life as she has. Over 10 years ago, Catherine suffered a massive stroke shortly after her first baby was born, and she has so much to say about the preciousness of life. Catherine, I look at you now, and when I consider that um, after your stroke, you uh, were rushed to the hospital, a major 16-hour surgery, a long period of rehab, surely you got discouraged. Right. What, what was it that got you through? What, what helped? Oh, gosh, so many things about what stands out in my mind was deeper than all the lies I began to believe about God abandoning me, about this being some sort of horrific mistake, that I'm a mistake, that I'm not made for this world anymore. Um, even deeper than all those lies was a truth that God doesn't make mistakes, that God's plan somehow included this, that God chose me for this and saw me worthy to steward and champion this unique situation for the rest of my life. And that I had the opportunity to live well 
to suffer well within these bodily constraints. And God really ignited and awakened in my mind this notion that that I, I was really like chosen by him is the only words I know how to talk about it. Selected by God himself for something very special. And it transformed everything because I no longer felt forgotten and abandoned. But like God handpicked me. He saw me fit for this, and that was really exhilarating. Well, Catherine, before your stroke, you were active, you were healthy, you were running, you were doing all kinds of stuff. And then after your stroke, it's like a whole different life. For sure. So, so for you, what does it mean? Oh, gosh. Pro-life is about the unborn and the born. It's life in the womb and out of the womb because it's all worth championing because God made it. Mm. It's so beautiful to think my life before I was born and after has tremendous plan and purpose. It didn't start one and end somewhere. Or I, I'm just given this new chance at life that is in a wheelchair. And that is weird. You get that. It's hard to do life in a wheelchair, but it's an amazing life. I feel like our world lies to us and tells us that if it's not you perfectly running on the beach, then you can't enjoy it. Uh, you can, though. You can, enjoy, you can enjoy life no matter how limited you are. Oh, my goodness, yes. I mean, the boundary lines have fallen in pleasant places. Psalm 16:6, 100%. And for me, that's life in a wheelchair. And for you, that's life in a wheelchair. And do you see us crying about it? No, yeah. it's a great life. <laughs> well, Catherine, I know that the anomaly in your brain would have been something that perhaps, what, 10, 12, 15 years from now, doctors could have ascertained. Right. And maybe doctors could have said to uh, your mother, um, you know, your unborn child here has this specific anomaly that will take her life, so why not spare yourself the struggle and just abort her now? Right. That, that's that's kind of a practical, real situation, isn't, isn't it? Isn't that so scary? It is. Oh my, I wouldn't be here. Like, I would not be around because of what likely would have been told to my mother. That's crazy. So what would you say to mothers who perhaps are told by their doctor, you're carrying a child with some sort of chromosomal defect or some sort of anomaly in the brain? What would you say? Oh my goodness. Well, that is such a big question and super complicated, but I have to say, you got to look at my story and say, they're not always right. It's the practice of medicine. They, you know, it's not the law. It's, they're practicing, honestly, and they're awesome. I love doctors. I love medical opinions, but they're not God, let's be honest. And aren't we glad? Hello, I'm here. So they're not always right, you know? Well, Kevin, you and your husband are absolutely amazing. You went ahead and had a second child, even in your fragile state. So given the celebration of life that we're talking about this week, um, what brought you and Jay to the place where you would, you would decide that having a second child is worth the risk? It's worth the risk. What would you say to people who are wondering whether or not they should move ahead with conceiving a child, even if it means a big risk? 
Well, for one, I was medically approved by doctors that I could likely have a healthy pregnancy. And of course, no one knows the outcomes. And I have a very fragile body, but it wasn't like I like booked the doctors and were like, I'm going to do what I want to. No, no, no. I've been given medical approval. However, um, the Lord has given us so much in our lives, and we actually have come to the place where we feel our children and our child at that point were better off because of the suffering of their parents than if it were not this way. So it was really paradigm shifting to realize this new baby was going to be brought into a world that would be hard and complicated, for sure. But what would supersede that is the deep treasure that he has from walking through life with a severely disabled mother and a life that wouldn't be typical. You know, that's a, that's a profound gift. The people who are adults with special needs get to give their children. The parents get to pass on to their children a very unique, up-close picture of suffering and redemption. And that is a gift beyond anything parents could speak. I could tell my child a million times there's hope. But when he gets to see his daddy get his mommy out of the bathtub every day for his whole life, he learns it differently. And that's the beauty of life lessons, I think, in general, that we get to give each other. And yes, we can learn it the other way. I'm not saying it's the only way. But goodness, it's a good way. It's I'm a thankful. great way. I'm thankful, too. And I think, um, I think you friends have learned from my friend Karen. Challenging, isn't it? I really feel so unqualified to share a platform with people like that and um, really do not see myself at all qualified or uh, that we've, we've certainly have walked a journey, myself and Ingrid, um, in, in some of these things, but nowhere near and probably nowhere near what many of you have experienced. So what we want to share with you is just really what we feel God has taught us and what we've learned and gleaned from others and, and um, just seeing other people's lives and listening to people like this. By the way, there's a lot of YouTube videos of Joni's, like I said, it's over 50 years of her ministry, so it's incredible, and it's ex extremely helpful if you want to find them. It's Joni Erickson Tata, um, it's called Joni and Friends, it's there. So, but, um, so my section this evening, what I'm going to be looking at is just the, the biblical foundation or the biblical principles or um, what the Bible says about suffering. First of all, um, just to answer the question, is it actually something that is true to Scripture? Is there Christian suffering within Scripture? And um, you may have different opinions about it, but let's just look at, at a few examples here. So first of all, if we look at the Old Testament, I'm sure that if you've been around and read your Bible somehow, you'll, the first one that will jump to mind will be Job. There's a whole 38 chapters or 42, or what is it, of a man who went through severe sufferings. And... Um, uh, if you, at the end of chapter 2, it says that his friends came, and actually for a whole week, they, they simply sat and cried with him, because his suffering was so great to endure, and to behold, they, they didn't even have words to speak, so it is not a, a, a short season that he had, it is extended, and we see it as all as a result, actually, of a conversation that God had with Satan. Um, so interesting, where Satan was accusing Job of having a transactional relationship, you know, just what he could benefit from God, and Jesus or God actually saying to him, "I'll prove to you that his faith is sincere." 
and allowed all these things to happen to him. So there's your one example. It is Old Testament, but it's there. And um, then what about the Psalms? I don't know if you know, but 30% of the Psalms are laments. It is the psalmists complaining about their lot in life and how they have been dealt a bad, bad hand. And when is God going to come to their rescue? When is he going to answer their prayer? When is he going to stop turning his face away from them? That's their experience. And many of them do come out of it in the psalm, but it, it is there. And some doesn't. It, it, it just, they just stay there. And the whole psalm is there. And it shows us that it is real. So then what about New Testament? In the New Testament... We, uh, to my mind, the first thing that jumps to my mind is the man born blind. It's, uh, it's not name, it's just what it says. He's born blind, and John 9, you'll encounter him. And there it speaks about him, and you can, it's relatively the same thing as the story of Lazarus, where actually the disciples asked him, why, why is this man born blind? Whose sin is it? What's the situation? And, and Jesus simply said, this is so that the glory of God can be revealed in his life, through his life. And so, it's, it's there, we see Jesus himself. Jesus, we know he suffered for our sake, for the sins, but he also suffered just in his growing up years, because it said that he, he, was, he learned obedience through suffering. And Jesus went through that because his life was the perfect example for us. Jesus, in the interaction with us, or when Jesus calls us to himself, there's no, it's not like a contract with little, you know, like um, the small writing that you've not been made aware of. He's right up front, tells you, come and die. He right up front tells you, he says, that no, master, no servant is greater than his master. It's John, John 15, 20, I think it is. Um, so if they persecuted me, they will persecute you too. Jesus says in 16, John 16, that in less life you will have trouble. So he puts it right out, up front in your face. <laughs> it's going to be tough. It's not only tough. But it's going to be tough. There's going to be seasons of toughness. There's many more glorious ones. But what about, you could still say, and I've heard some people say, that it's all before Jesus went to the cross and paid the price for us, and he's done everything, all the suffering for us, so we never need to. Well, then, what do you do with Paul? Paul is the greatest one who explained and expounded and taught us through generations, the followers of Christ, what it means to appropriate the fullness of what God, Jesus, attained for us on the cross. He teaches us how to live in that freedom and that victory and everything in it. But what is the testimony of his life? Second Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 30 says, I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I've received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. We just read through these things. But think about it, friends. That's, that's not, you know, that whip, the cat with nine tails, with pots, pieces, and the cat's claws that ripped the flesh from you. Five times, 39 lashes. And he was not miraculously healed. He had to go through healing, suffering. We had that guy, Daniel Shester, speak here about his um, episodes where it took a year <clears throat> after he was severely beaten and left for dead. It took a year for him to stand again, be able to walk again. So what did Paul go through? Says that five times that. Then on top of it, three times beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones, or some translations say stoned and left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day on the open sea. And it carries on. What about Peter? 
Peter says to us in 1 Peter 5, verse 9 and 10, he, he, he teaches his followers. And by the way, P Peter is a book that is for, for us. It is like written to those scattered around the world, the aliens, you know, that <laughs> our life is, our citizenship is somewhere else. But this is what he says to, to his listeners or his hearers and readers. He says, resist him, that is Satan, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world, I read it again. <laughs> The family of believers throughout the world, all of them, is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. So is suffering biblical, Christian suffering? I think absolutely. And the God of all peace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you um, strong, firm, and steadfast. Now this phrase, a little while, it's not a little while the way we think a little while. It means a couple of minutes or a couple of weeks or maybe a month or two. A little while is in the context of eternity. That's biblical language. And so if you, I've heard the other day somebody just made 130, oldest person in the modern era. So if, my, if this distance was to represent 130 years, if I live for 130 years on a timeline, how, how long does this line need to be to represent eternity? So down here, out maybe to the edge of the ocean, about 30 kilometers. All the way around, maybe reaching Australia. It's got to come all the way around. Keep on going east to be back here. And then eternity would only have started. That's a little while, friends. Our whole life is a little while. So suffering can be actually for your whole life. 53 years she's lived with paraplegia. Or quadriplegia. So amazing. And then having that testimony. So friends, it is real. It is there. But why, you may ask, why does a God who loves us and a God who has got absolute authority over everything, all power, who's got only our best interests at heart at all times, Psalm 39 says his thoughts towards us is only that of good, and there's so many that you cannot count them. It's like the sand on the seashore. When you come to the end of it, you wouldn't have come to the end of his thoughts towards you. Every single of those thoughts is for your good. Why would he allow us to suffer? I believe because there are benefits from suffering. And what are those benefits? Well, we as a church have been looking at the book of Ruth, and there's so much there that you can see that actually even relates to this old preach, but just looking at the Ruth, that whole situation of Naomi and the family and all that they've gone through, that was extended suffering for quite a few years for them to have left Israel, go to Moab, all this stuff there. Didn't have time to expand on all that, but, but what did it do? It created a platform for the most glorious love story to be told. A story of God's redemption. And not only for them, but for all generations of Christians afterwards to learn about this glorious God. But it took a family to suffer, to actually have that story put in there and displayed. I believe that suffering, Christian suffering, produces Christ-likeness. It produces a more intimate knowing of Jesus. It gives us the opportunity to experience the glory of God displayed in our own lives. Text for that is Philippians 3. You can see that, verse 10 and 11 in particular. And then Romans 8, verse 17, where it says, Now 
If we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So it's through suffering that you have that glorious experience of actually God's glory manifest in your own life. Suffering creates a deeper knowing of Jesus. I think I've said that. And suffering produces, according to Romans 5, verse 3 to 5, perseverance, character, and hope. Now, aren't those just beautiful qualities? Aren't those the very things that we desire in our own Christian lives and we want to actually pray for our children to have? Well, suffering is a vehicle through which you gain those things. Not the only one, even as Catherine has said, but a very effective one that God uses. The Romans says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Number four, or six actually, suffering also brings about Christian maturity. Do you know that that's the very reason why the Holy Spirit is given? It's the very reason why we have the gifts of the Holy Spirit, all the ministry gifts, the fivefold ministry, all those things. It's for Christians to reach their full maturity in Christ. That's what Ephesians 4 says. So that you can pertain to the, full, the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. While James says that suffering is a vehicle through which those things come into your life. In James 1 verse 2 to 4, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And then this point, let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature, may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I'll pick up on that point a bit later. Then number seven, suffering proves the genuineness of, your, of our faith. We saw it with Job. We saw Peter say it here in 1 Peter 1 verse 6 to 9. It says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have, have had to suffer grief, again that little while, may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Suffering produces eternal rewards. I think one of the greatest, most wonderful gifts through suffering, and that is rewards of great magnitude. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 16 and 17 says, Therefore, we do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are producing for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Aren't these truths that we should hang on to? So what I'm saying, friends, is that if you don't want to become a mature Christian, or put it this way, if you don't want to suffer, or if you don't want your children to suffer, you want to save all your loved ones from suffering, then stop praying for them to become mature. Stop praying for them to have Christ-likeness formed in their lives. Stop praying for them to have Christ's character built within them. Stop praying for them to be sure of the proven quality of their faith. Because suffering may well be the vehicle that God uses to achieve these things. Johnny says, and I think that's a testimony of many of us who've walked, walked with God, that your seasons of suffering are 
high points in your growing of intimacy and knowing of God and experiencing of his glory. Ask, ask around, you'll see. But Johnny says, the we, this is Johnny Erickson, the we God intends for us to be emerges when we welcome trials and suffering. I repeat it, the we God intends for us to be emerges when we welcome trials and suffering. So friends, what I say by this is that when you are in the presence of a loved one or a person, a Christian, that is suffering, you are on holy ground. Because God is at work. And I think so often with our charismatic Pentecostal overtones and that we want to rush in there and actually just deliver people from it. We, we don't want to see our children suffer. We just want to get them out of it as quickly as possible. But actually, when we do that, when we're not careful in it, I'm not saying don't pray for healing. For sure, we always do. But just be gentle. Be careful there. Don't proclaim things that God hasn't told you just because that is supposed to always be the truth of everyone just coming out of suffering. It's not so. And I think that we may find ourselves in those moments, not in the camp of Jesus, but actually in the camp of Peter. We said to Jesus, that will never be when he had to go through the, his suffering of the cross. And Jesus had to say to him, get behind me, Satan. Because why? You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of man. So in closing, I want to say, what, how do we then benefit or get the most benefit out of our season of suffering? Or put it another way, how do we not waste our season of suffering? And I think it comes down to three simple, which actually is one thing. But the first is we need to have a godly perspective on things. And God's perspective on suffering is that it's a gift. It's a gift to us as his followers. Paul says that in Philippians 1. We've done Philippians recently. 1 verse 29, the Amplified puts it this way. It says, you have been granted the privilege for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer on his behalf. And if you read Acts 11, all those heroes of faith, I mean Hebrews 11 or the book of Acts, you'll see that that was the testimony of the early church. They considered it a great privilege to suffer for his sake. Secondly, God sees death as a gain. Psalm 116.15 says, Precious in the sight of God is the death of his saints. Paul says death is a gain. If unless we see death as a gain, you won't endure suffering. We have such a low view of heaven, friends. I think we've got to have a high view of the glory of eternity in heaven. And things will change dramatically. Secondly, I believe we don't waste a season of suffering if we follow Jesus' example. And Hebrews 12, verse 1 and 2 tells us that Jesus' example was, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. So he looked past it. He looked into eternity. He looked here tonight. See each and every one of us having the opportunity to believe in him. That's what he saw, and that's why he could endure the cross. And we have to have that long view of life. Like Jesus said, Jesus also fully embraced his suffering. We saw Philippians 2, verse 5 to, uh, 69, where it says that it's in humility, basically. He surrendered to the will of the Father, which meant that he had to drink the cup of suffering. That's the example that says we are to imitate and follow. 
And lastly, I believe that we are to follow the example of the biblical authors, Peter, Paul, John, all of them. And it is summarized in 2 Corinthians 4.18, and there's many other places. But it says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So it's having an eternal view of things. That's God's perspective, and that's the perspective of Jesus, and what we have to have, then we will endure things differently. So I just want to say that when you are in a place where God is not answering your prayers the way you think it should be answered, or you believe it should have been answered, just hang in there. Don't think it is because you haven't prayed enough, or you haven't prayed the right prayer, or you haven't had the right people pray for you, or the right amount of people pray for you, or all the things that people can tell you. Just hang there. God's at work. He's doing a beautiful work. And for us who, or even for yourself, the thing is, the reason why God is doing it is because he is good. He's not withholding for you because he's got some hidden thing that he likes to see people suffer. He is good all the time. And he's got something better for you in mind. And that's the way to see. And so, also, never, friends, try to twist God's arm. Never try to force your will on him. It just does not end well. Believe me. Look at Hezekiah's life. Look at many lives. Don't. Surrender to the will of the Father. Change your prayer. Ask questions of God. Ask him what he is doing. And how can I participate in what you are trying to achieve in my life. Amen. Evening, everyone. So I'm just going to be changing tech a little bit. As Francis said, we're going to be looking a little bit just really practically at how can we as individuals, how can we as a community of faith walk well together with those who, who are suffering. And particularly, we'll be looking at um, physical sickness um, in, in a number of different forms. Um, so just to, to, to say, leading up to this, I've spent a bit of time speaking to people in our community who are walking a walk. Um, some of them who have got cancer, who have been walking a long walk with, with that, speaking to people who have got chronic pain, other chronic illnesses, um, who have walked a walk with children with um, um, addictions, um, family members who've got, who, where there's dementia in the families, just a number of different trying situations, and just how can we as, as a community of, of, of faith walk well. Um, just personally, just to share a little bit, I by no means, uh, as, as Francis already said, consider myself to be an expert in this um, field, but just to share a little bit um, of some, I myself have walked a journey with some people who have been suffering, and I've also been a recipient of the community that has cared for me and for us in, in our journeys of a bit of a touch of, of suffering compared to what we've seen. Um, my father was a very vibrant, um, joyful man, but he had episodes of, of major depression. Um, one of them lasted nine and a half years, and um, I just saw the joy being sucked out of him, and he was a man that was um, just quiet. He became quiet. He had his tormented eyes. And I saw my mother walk a walk with my father, um, working when he couldn't work, um, loving him, um, supporting him, caring for him, drawing her, her strength from, from God, um, which was a beautiful thing to see. 
Um, we have a, had a, have a daughter. We've got three chil- uh, children, and one of our daughters at 17 years old um, was diagnosed with a chronic illness, and um, we are still walking that walk together with her. I think what Francis said, as parents, we want our children to become like Jesus, but um, sometimes the, the, the vehicle is through, through suffering. And I think it is, it's a journey of um, constant, daily, or surrenders. It's a lifestyle of surrenders. There's joys and there's ups and downs, but it's a journey. And then um, I have a brother who just under two years ago was diagnosed with motor neuron disease, and um, that is a condition that slowly, slowly just um, results in your muscles wasting away. And um, eventually you also can't speak, you can't swallow, you can't breathe. And he died um, sorry, a month ago. Um, so I just want to share practically something of what we have so, sorry, learned along the way. Sorry. So 1 Corinthians sorry, 12 verse 26 says... It's talking about the body of Christ. It says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. And I believe that Christian suffering is a community burden. Um, Galatians 6 verse 2 says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. I think, you know, we we are very uncomfortable with suffering and sickness. We don't know what to say when somebody's going through difficult times, so we tend to want to avoid it, or we say silly things, uh, or we hope that somebody else will be the one that will walk together with that one that's having a difficulty. But I believe that the example of Jesus actually constrains us to to bow down and um, bear some of that load, to learn what it is to suffer and walk together with one that is, is suffering. So just um, some practical things that, that I think are helpful. The first thing is just to understand what our role is and maybe what our role is not in, in the journey of walking together with one who is suffering. Um, our role is not to explain God. Our role is not to try and give some quick fix um, solution, or to tell the person how they should be doing what they're doing. Um, our role is to show up. Um, we see that with the, role, with the example that Francois gave of Job's friends. They, they showed up. I don't know about you, but I don't know of many of us that would sit for seven days out of our busy schedule, sit for seven days and just mourn um, and, and just almost like absorb the comforts of, of that person who's, who's suffering is to show love and encouragement. Um, it's to um, pray for them and with them, but on an, in, a, in a journey. Um, it's to share scriptures, but I'm not talking about just using a Romans 8.28 sort of slap on band-aid that's a fix, fix all kind of a thing, but it's really to share scripture um, in, in season. The, the word says in Psalm 19.7, it says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. Um, I think it's, it's being, we need to be willing to walk through the valley of, of, of darkness. Psalm um, 23.4 speaks about that, that the Lord is with the person as they walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And sometimes us coming alongside and being willing to walk that walk is a physical picture and a feel of God doing that together with them. Okay, so those are some of them of, of what our role is. If, remember, if, if we looked at Job, they showed up, but the problem started coming in when they started trying to explain or, or kind of fix Job's theology. 
And Job says, actually God says to, to the friends in Job 42, 7, he's speaking to Eliphaz. He says, I'm angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my, so, my servant Job has. So they just presumed that, God, that Job had, had sinned in some way and that God was punishing him. And that wasn't the case, but they, that's what they presumed. And so I think something we learn uh, as we walk a journey is James 1, 19, we need to think, is be quick to listen and slow to speak. Okay, so the first thing is just what our role is. Secondly is just um, how do we get an accurate, I think, I think the thing is for each one of us to have an accurate biblical understanding of suffering. And that's what Francois done, but there's so much more that one needs to look at. We need to be convinced as we walk together with one who's suffering that God is good and that God is sovereign. Um, we need to actually, as we um, bear some of the suffering and watch people that are walking through difficulties, we need to actually develop a prayer language that is real. And as Francois said, the Psalms help us in that regard. We actually can go to God and we can wrestle with God and we can lament over things and we can, um, we can be honest. That's what the psalmist teaches us. We're not just to be some flippant, super spiritual people, but we can be honest. They teach us how to, how to choose to praise and affirm the character of God when we don't understand what he's doing and to cultivate joy through the daily habits of trust and thankfulness. I think we have to learn to just approach the throne of grace regularly for ourselves as we're walking together with one who's suffering, but also um, for that person. And ultimately, what a person needs most is, is just the suffering Savior. And so if we can embody him well, that is a beautiful gift that we give to our brother or sister who's suffering. As Francis said, we are invited. We're instructed to pray for those who are sick, to pray for healing. Um, Matthew 7, 7 to 8, James 5, 14. But as, as Francis said, we have to recognize that God heals in different ways. That God can heal miraculously. And he can, it can be instantaneous. Or it can be something that happens over a period of time. Or it can be medically that he chooses to use. Or it can be in death. And, um, you know, I think that is a beautiful thing as believers for us to have an understanding that death that Jesus has taken the sting of death away. It's like, where, O oh death, is your sting? That we go from one form of existence to another, and, and the Bible says in Revelations 21.4, he makes all things new. He wipes away every tear from our eyes. So that to me is like, that's ultimate healing that happens there. So for us not to put a burden on the person, we pray for a person if they don't get healed, not to insinuate somehow that they're lacking in faith and to put a burden on, on them in that way, um, but to trust God for his timing and for his sovereignty. John Piper, just an article that was sent to me, it's, he says, let us rehearse the mercies of Jesus often in the presence of discouraged people. Let us point them again and again to the blood of Jesus. Um, then just my third uh, point is for us to understand the, the seasons of, of sickness and sickness, to understand that there's not like a one, one size fits all. It's not like every person deals with suffering or sickness in the same way, first of all. Um, there's a process. So a person could become ill, um, they receive a diagnosis, then how they deal with that diagnosis differs 
Some people will want to be alone and wrestle with that thing. Other people will want information. Others don't want information. Um, and then there's a the process of, of having the medication or the treatments. And then there's sometimes you're getting better. Sometimes you don't get better. Sometimes it ends in death. Sometimes it ends in healing. It's a walk. It's a process. It's a marathon. It's not a short sp- sprint that we're dealing with here. And so just to understand the seasons in that, in that process... Um, Ecclesiastes 3 says, There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. A time to be born and a time to die. Every one of us is going to die. There's a time will come when every one of us needs to die. (laughs) Um, There's a time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. We love to embrace, but actually if somebody's on um, chemotherapy or they're having immunosuppressants, you know, giving them a hug is not what you want. You're going to give them a bug. <laughs> so there's a time to, ref- to refrain from embracing sometimes. There's a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak. And I think that point is important there for us to have um, a filter on our mouths. So as you come into a situation, you, you know, you don't know what to say, and then you just blurt out the first thing that comes. And so that's for us to grow in that. It's for us, and we're all in a process, there's grace in the journey, but to have a filter over our mouths that says, is what I'm going to say, is it going to be harmful or is it going to be helpful? And I think we can learn, because uh, I love this scripture, and it's Isaiah 50 verse 4. It says, the sovereign Lord has given me a well-instructed tongue. To know the word that sustains the weary. He awakens me morning by morning. Awakens my ear to listen like one being instructed. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, what an amazing people would we be if we have that instructed tongue. When we go into situations where we're hearing God's voice in a situation where we can speak beautiful words of of healing and refreshing. I want to be like that. Um, there's a time sometimes where, you know, you've got to back off and not speak. And the other times, um, chatting with Robin, she was just saying, there are times we have to press in and you've got to give that person the opportunity where they can maybe vent or express their fears or their anxieties or things like that. It's just for us to, to listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I think another thing that I, I learned speaking to a couple was just not to assume that you know what that person wants or needs at that moment. We can't get in their heads. There is a time to take a meal and there's a time not to take a meal. There's a time to visit and there's a time when you need to realize that the person is too sick to speak and then you don't visit, but you send a text message. Or just because the person said they can't visit you today or they can't have a visit today doesn't mean they never want the visit. And we tend to do that. We tend to be a bit oversensitive and we think, well, they don't really like me, they don't want me. And so um, we leave the person lonely then as well. So it's just to, just to walk a walk of hearing the Holy Spirit. If God puts somebody on your mind, just respond to it. Don't think that, that because we're, you know, we're in a big church, somebody else is going to be the one that's going to care for that person. You are that somebody. If God's put that person on your mind, then do. You know, send a message. Uh, um, make, make contact with them. We help those who are suffering and struggling by being mature um, people who don't become, uh, you know, who don't you know, take offense. 
um, then just be consistent. I think that's a beautiful thing that, that um, I've learned along the way, is that somebody who consistently prays, somebody who consistently messages, or consistently just shows up is a very precious thing. I saw that with my father. He, um, there was a man that used to visit nine and a half years. It's a long time. This man wasn't like a particularly a big friend of my father before the depression. He wasn't like overly spiritual, but he just pitched up. Regularly he would pitch up and he'd chat about all sorts of different things. When all the other social um, invites disappeared, he and his wife would invite my mom and dad. And that is a precious thing. And it, we can do that. And then just be patient and gracious is my next point. You know, a person that's got chronic pain is not at their best. They tend to snap. <laughs> they sometimes say things that they don't really mean or that, are, you know, you can just take the wrong way. Just there's a beautiful thing about just allowing, um, what is it? Love covers a multitude of sins. You have to sometimes give them grace to be imperfect in the process and not, to, you know, show them the finger or whatever. <laughs> Not that way. <laughs> uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.14 says, Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. And then just another thing is just to see the whole person and to minister to the whole person. You know, these ladies here that were in their wheelchair, I chatted to some people in wheelchairs, and they say just because they're in a wheelchair, sometimes people seem to think that they're now mentally retarded suddenly. <laughs> and people tend to like look over them and speak to the person who's pushing them or, or speak to them in a funny way or something like that, you know? So just let's not be scared of something that's different. You know, somebody in a wheelchair or somebody that's walking funny or something that just looks different, like the lady there, she looks strange, but she's the same person inside. And so for us to just, that's what Jesus did. He would see a person, a leper, and he didn't just physically like, say, be healed from a distance. He went and he touched the person, he engaged with the person, he saw the person. And I think that's something we can learn from our beautiful Jesus. And then just um, thoughtful, practical kindness and acts of service are incredibly precious. Just doing things that show that, you, that you've thought about it. Um, um, 1 Peter 14 speaks about each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. So maybe you can say, well, I just don't do hospitals. I just don't know what to do around the sickbed. That's fine. Somebody else might be gifted in that way, but maybe you can go and fix the tap that's leaking, you know, that's dripping tap, tap in the bathroom there, you can do that. Or maybe uh, you're good at massaging, and sometimes that's an incredible way I've found of sometimes just um, showing that you feel that you, that you care and that you minister. Or maybe you can help with taking the person to appointments or fetching and carrying the kids for them or organizing the meal roster. Or maybe you've got finances that you can help a family that's struggling um, after chronic illness It often drains the bank. So there's so many things. Maybe you've got legal expertise that you could give or you can help with a medical aid. Or, you know, there just are so many ways for us to just be creative and to be available. And then just lastly, um, just to have a few words with those that are intimately involved with a person that is, that is, really, that is suffering and maybe on their deathbed. Um, I think to, for us to recognize that God is on a journey with, with us, those of us that are walking together with the one that is sick, God is on a journey with us too. 
And as you're walking together with that person, um, it can become incredibly intense, particularly if it's a, if a long, you know, it's a long process. And these can be uglinesses that surface out of you. You can see selfishness inside. Sometimes you don't handle something well, and you just feel dreadful about yourself. And I think it's just to recognize that and to just go to God regularly and receive his grace and to ask for forgiveness and um, to deal with guilt <laughs> and also to have boundaries. You know, sometimes we can feel that 24-7 we've got to be there. We've got to be everything to this person who's, who's um, struggling. But actually there are limits to who, who we are. And God has made the body for a purpose. And sometimes the, you need to ask for help. And it's an incredible relief to get somebody that knows what they're doing sometimes, like particularly like for palliative care, you get people who come in from hospice or who proper caregivers that can, can come sometimes and, and just uh, do it in a way that you don't know how. So just to receive help, ask for help, you, you bless the body in that way too. And then I think just to have, the, I've seen the benefits of just having trust, trusted and wise friends along the journey. Now sometimes you, um, the devil can have a field day and you can just, you know, point at stuff in you. And sometimes it's helpful. The, the friend can sometimes give you just perspective um, and can just help you to like realign. And then just as a family, um, I think to talk. Um, particularly if the person has been sick and you're heading towards towards death, you need to have those conversations, like talk about the will, you know, have they made a will? Have they made a living will? In other words, when it comes kind of to the end, what are you going to do? Are you going to be active in intervention to resuscitate the person or are you going to give palliative care? What are you going to do um, in those times? And to create a, like a plan of action, which is going to be re revisited along the way, but it just gives security and it gives direction and it just helps a person to feel supported. It's a, that's a beautiful thing. And just to, just a thing on teamwork, you know, um, I think something I learned with my brothers is I felt God say to me, you are your brother's keeper. And I had to carry a burden with my brother, but I realized at some points that I was trying to carry the burden by myself, and that, that wasn't helpful either. So it's this each, each team member, each person in the family has got to walk with that person who's suffering, have got a different role that they had to play in the journey, and you need to be a team. You can't just be this lone ranger. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 to 10 says, two are better than one because they have more satisfying return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. And then just my last point is just community. Just if you are suffering and struggling, don't withdraw from community. If you are wrestling with God even over something, don't withdraw from community because you are just, you put yourself in, you know, you're sitting duck really for the plans of the devil. So don't withdraw from community. And I want to just appeal to every one of us here in community. Let us be those that don't forget those that are suffering in our community. Let's walk a walk with them. We were never designed to be alone. Isn't that good? Um, maybe we can stand together. I, I think um, we, we've got, we're going to go out with a song. But, um, you know, what we've really wanted to do tonight is to just try and open up the conversation in some ways. There's really been some helpful, practical things. And, 
you may have some specifics that you want to talk to somebody about, and Francois and are here, and there's other people who've really walked a, a long journey, but we're just wanting to open up the conversation, try and give some helpful points, but, um, but even more than that, I mean, I, sometimes when I um, think about walking through suffering, and I, I just get, I'm like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> don't know how to love this person, or even for myself, I don't know what to do here, and, uh, and it can sometimes be a little bit overwhelming, and you might be in that situation now where you think, I, I don't know what to do here, and I just want to encourage you that, that God does know what to do. He, he always knows what to do, um, and, and he has you in a community that can help you along. I mean, I know we've been helped through difficult situations, and you may have suffered difficult situations, and you may have walked through that. It's a, it's a beautiful thing to be able to help others through that same space, and um, you may be walking through right now, and I would encourage you to, to ask others to come alongside, but, but even more, like we've heard tonight, is to, is to ask God to let him do what he needs to through the situation. I know I've had to change my prayers from, Lord, get me out of here to, Lord, get me through this and what you're wanting to do in me. And then to those who, who will suffer, I would say build well now. Build well now because the, the foundations that you lay now are going to be tested through those storms. And, and, and the Lord that you know now and are getting to know now will be the one who holds you or you'll fall down at that time. And, and build well now um, and through the season when you can, when you're not suffering, actually know the Lord. Get to know Him. Get to know Him with all that you, you are. And I, I think one of the, the greatest things I like to try and do with the guys that I walk with is, is to help them to learn Psalm 23. And it's a beautiful psalm because it's about the Lord being your shepherd. It's about the Lord leading you through difficulty. It's about the Lord leading you when you need to rest and when you need to drink and when you need to eat. And he knows what's best for you. And I think it's a beautiful psalm. And while we were, we were talking tonight, I thought actually we could end there. And it may be a starting point for you. Actually, go home and, and start to learn Psalm 23 off by heart because it will carry you through every season in life. And, and it says, let me just read it through. And it says, the Lord is my shepherd. To those who will suffer, get to know who the Lord is. He's your shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes or he restores my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake, ultimately, for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley or the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and your mercy or your love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in your house forever. Ultimately, what we want to do is we want to be under the care of our Father. And can we pray and ask God, and then we're going to go out of this song that speaks about him leading us. And that's what we want to do. I think one of our daily prayers is, Lord, show me your ways. Teach me your paths. And Father... Tonight, again, all of us here, whether we're suffering right now, Lord, whether we will or whether we have, Lord, we, we turn to you, Jesus, our great shepherd, and we look to you and we say, Father, would you lead us? Would you um, take us through where we need to go to become more like you? Ultimately, that's your goal, Lord, is that we would become more like you in everything that we go through. 
Thank you, Lord, that you never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you for all the promises and the truths that we've heard about tonight, both for ourselves, but not just for ourselves, but for others and our community that we can shepherd and walk alongside and love and care for. And we want to surrender ourselves to you as Redpoint Church, as your church global, and say, Lord, would you, would you lead us where you want us to go? And would we not jump out, but would we follow you, our great, glorious, and beautiful shepherd, we ask. Thank you for this evening, Lord. Thank you for biblical truth, which is able to set us free, even from um, negative thoughts or perhaps um, downcast or broken or um, um, even um, victim thoughts, Lord. But it allows us to look through the lens of suffering with victory and with peace and with joy and with an incredible sense of your presence and love. So would you do that, Lord? We pray for those going through difficulty now. We ask for your grace around them. Would you, would you um, by your spirit, meet with them where they are? Would you bring people alongside them, Lord, we pray? And would you help us to love and care for your body and your bride as you call us to? So even as we sing this song, Lord, would you be glorified and do what only you, you can? In your precious name we pray. Amen.